Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Love that song we just sang. Uh, I was digging for this song this week. I had requested that David sing that song in particular, and you'll find out why later on. But this song is not in our songbooks, which just struck me as about the weirdest thing ever. And maybe it's because I'm from Texas. It is likely because I'm from Texas, and we sing Fanny J. Crosby songs every week. Uh, But I love that song, Uh, and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. Church, we live in a world that loves the idea of rights and perceived entitlements. And it is abundantly clear when we look at a few litigation stories, which we are going to do. These stories are not made up. They are real stories of people filing lawsuits because they believed that they had rights. And the first one takes place at SeaWorld Orlando. Yeah, it's uh, Tillamook or something. Uh, The name of the whale, that is, is one of those things. In 1999, there was a guy named Daniel Dukes, okay? Daniel Dukes was a guy that was involved in, like, the Hare Krishna group that's a little, little different. He had been arrested several times for trafficking marijuana uh, and, and using marijuana many, many times. As the story goes, Daniel Dukes had this dream that he was pursuing of swimming with killer whales, As the story goes, he wound up hiding within SeaWorld Orlando for for a few hours late one night. He had gone to the park, he had got in legally, but he was hiding beneath the bleachers. Nobody saw him, and he had this grand idea that he was going to go jump over the fence and swim with the killer whales. As you may imagine, this did not turn out well. These are called killer whales. His parents sued SeaWorld for marketing that the killer whales were too friendly. Again, not making this up. And thus made Daniel do what he did. They felt that they had a right to compensation for what their son had done. Story number one. Story number two. I'm reading part of this story straight from the headlines because this is, it's too good. Whoever wrote this had fun doing it. There was a guy named Austin Aitken who was watching Fear Factor one night. And he had watched Fear Factor several times before. I've watched Fear Factor a few times and I'm on board with most of it until they get the snakes out. And then, but I know what to do in that situation. This guy did not. Austin Aitken said he watches Fear Factor often and he had no problem with past episodes in which the reality shows contestants ate things like worms and insects, all in pursuit of $50,000. But the Cleveland man said showing people eating rats mixed in a blender was degrading to the contestants and the viewers. He may have a point, but this continues. These networks are going too far, period, Aitken said Thursday. They need to check themselves, clean up their own acts, It's barbaric, some of the things that they ask these individuals to do. Again, he may be right, but that's not where this is going. Aitken's handwritten lawsuit contends that rat eating made his blood pressure rise, thus making him dizzy and lightheaded. I didn't see the doorway en route to my room. His lawsuit reads, I ran into it causing suffering 
injury, and great pain. He sued for $2.5 million. The best part of this entire story, the judge's response. Judge's response was, change the channel. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yeah. So, that was story number two. Story number three is my favorite. People feel they are so entitled to rights. There was a woman in Haifa, Israel, who watched the morning news on Channel 2 every morning. And the weatherman on Channel 2 one day called for a sunny forecast. Well, as weathermen are prone to do from time to time, he was wrong. Okay? She dressed appropriate for that type of weather, but that day it rained in Haifa. She caught the flu, then went to miss four days of work. She had to spend $38 on medication. Whew. So she sued the weatherman. Not the news company, not the agency. She sued the weatherman, demanded an apology for suffering. They settled outside of court. She received $1,000 and an apology. For getting the weather wrong. (laughs) People believe they are so entitled that they have a right to do whatever they want. And before we think, well, that's just them, take a closer look at you for a moment. You can take a closer look at me if you want. How does this problem reflect us? Because we act as if we are just as entitled as anybody else, to have things work or to do things the way that we want them done or to have things sound the way we want them to sound or look the way we want them to look. We act as if it's our right to have things our way. And I blame Burger King. Good. Somebody caught it. Good. There you go. This is not a new problem. Church, I I think we all know this. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel believed they were entitled to have a king just like all the other nations. They said, look, we see everybody else and they have what we want. We want to be like them. We are entitled. We have the right to a king. It didn't work out so well, as the story goes. In 1 Corinthians, where we're going to spend our time this morning... This church felt like they were entitled to a few things as well. They felt like they had marriage rights in in 1 Corinthians 7. They They had rights when they came to communion. We brought the most food. We get to eat the most. They had rights when it came to to exercising these spiritual gifts that they were so excited about. And for good reason. But the problem with this is that it led to division. But let me offer this. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you may be under the assumption that that division is the issue. But I want to counter that and say division is the presenting issue. The biggest issue was that the church in Corinth had lost sight of the mission. And because they had lost sight, the mission was secondary. So in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, which you see on the screen, Paul says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... 
by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you. So it seems like he's addressing this primarily, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Same purpose is the purpose of the mission. The mission is the primary thing in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For the next couple weeks, we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I love what Paul does in this chapter. You know the Corinthians felt entitled, right? They felt entitled when they came to communion together. They felt entitled when when they had these gifts that they wanted to exercise. They felt entitled in their marriages. They just felt entitled. And Paul wants to make sure that he lets them know that he's entitled as well. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This should sound like entitlement to to you. This is what Paul is saying. I am entitled. Verse 3. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to our food and drink? It's rhetorical. Of course we do. Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas? Of course we do. Continuing. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who at any time pays the expenses for doing military service? Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not get any of its milk? It seems to me that up to this point, Paul is saying very clearly, I have rights and I want you to realize I have rights because I'm an apostle and I've done great things among you. And even if nobody else believes I'm an apostle, I am to you. I have rights. But it continues in verse 8. Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law also say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Which is a weird thing to say. But he continues. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? No. Or does he not speak for our sake? For whoever plows should plow in hope. Whoever threshes should thresh in hope of a share of the crop. Okay. Look at all we've done. But he continues. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much to ask that we reap material benefits? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we still the more? It seems like Paul's getting ready here to say, hey, we have our rights to be compensated for what we've done. You should compensate us well because we've done great things among you. That's not where Paul goes. This is important for us. Second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul keeps going. Remember that. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Then those who serve at the altar share in the sacrifice on the altar. 
In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's reminding you, I have these rights. I shared the gospel with you. I should get something for it. But then in verse 15, again, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing this so that they may be applied in my case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. Seems a little extreme. Paul is a missionary. He has a right to be compensated for that. He is entitled to compensation for all that he has done. But, if it is going to get in the way of the gospel, he is not going to do it. He's not going to use it. So I want you to hear again, back in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Church, I believe that Paul has set a precedent for us here. It's a precedent that he followed suit in doing. But later in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, do you realize what Paul says there? He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, Paul's not doing this as though he's the first person to ever not exercise his rights. He's actually following Jesus. Church, what is more Christ-like than laying down our rights for the sake of the mission? For the sake of the gospel? I read a bedtime story to my three-year-old every night. And a couple nights ago, as I had worked on this sermon for most of the day, we read the story of Jesus paying the temple tax. So some Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're talking to him and they say, why doesn't your teacher, and they're talking to Peter, why doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter's like, well, he does. And then he goes to Jesus and he's like, what do we do about the temple tax? And Jesus, who had every right to avoid paying the temple tax, you know what the temple was there for? It was the presence of God on earth. What is Jesus? (laughs) God on earth, there's no reason that Jesus would have to pay this tax. But Jesus puts aside that right and does a miracle that actually leads people to seeing that he is God. Go catch a fish, and inside the fish you'll find a coin in its mouth, and then go pay the temple tax. If anyone had a divine right not to pay that tax, it was Christ. And yet for the mission, he did not exercise that right. Ultimately, on the day we celebrated last Friday, we remember that Christ laid down his right to a fair trial. Christ laid down his right to to have a family. Christ laid down his right to life. Because Christ's rights, Jesus' rights, were always in subject to his mission. And we need to do the same. Church, if we're going to be Christ's followers, we must be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the mission. Our entitlements have to be laid down. We have to look away from our own desires for the sake of the gospel. Church, I want you to repeat after me. This phrase right here. The gospel is more important than my rights. 
You all sound so good today. Do you know that in in the next Corinthian letters, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, Let light shine out of darkness who has shown in your hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We lay down our rights so that you can see Jesus. Say it with me again, church. The gospel is more important than my rights. To say this is one thing. But in order for us to live like this is truth, we have to begin asking ourselves some difficult questions. When do I let my rights outweigh the gospel? Does my right to personal property keep... Does it create tension with someone who needs Jesus? Does my inalienable inalienable right, that's the word, to the pursuit of happiness leave someone else wanting? Does my right to be in charge keep others from experiencing God's guidance? I have these rights. One I was thinking about this week In Texas right now, it's a really big deal talking about the right to bear arms. What if we ask the question, does my right to bear arms keep me from leading this thief to Jesus? Jesus kind of set the precedent for that. To put it directly, what is Jesus leading you to lay down? If the gospel transcends my rights, I have to be willing to lay aside my rights when it is required for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is not a call for us to to give up our rights for no reason, right? We have rights, but God has blessed us with certain rights, and that's good. But I came across four questions this week that that kind of helped me frame... uh, how we think about our rights. And I I don't have any slides for these, so if you want to keep notes, you can write these down. I'll go kind of slow. First question, will exercising my rights honor God by showing the power of the gospel in my life? And if the answer is no, that should disqualify it. Will exercising my rights honor God by showing the power of the gospel in my life? Question number two, Will will exercising my rights advance God's kingdom? Or will it advance only my interests at the expense of the gospel? Question number three. Will exercising my rights benefit others? Because if the answer is no, we should reconsider. Finally, question number four. Is exercising my rights essential for my own well-being? Essential, not profitable. Church, I think these are good framing questions for us. I think we need to ask ourselves, when we're about to do something, when we're about to stand up for something, is this something that is going to benefit the gospel or not? Is this something that's going to benefit others or not? Is this something that is going to lead people to praising God or not? And if the answer is not then we should reconsider. I told you a moment ago that I asked David to sing uh, 
all the way my Savior leads me, and, and also he leadeth me. Uh, it's two songs that I really love. And I appreciate in those songs how they capture what those writers anticipated for the ends of their lives. I've thought of how I want the end of my life to look for a little while now. Um, I'm not morbid when I say that. I just I, I know what I want to look back and see. I want to be surrounded by the people I love, sharing memories and hopes and hearing my family and friends say one thing. I want them to tell me that I have been faithful to God. Like when I'm, I'm on my deathbed and I'm talking to my wife, I want her to say, you have been faithful to God. When Micah's looking at me, I want him to be able to say, you have been faithful to God. And ultimately, I want to hear Jesus say, I have been faithful. I want to be able to sing with, convic- with conviction and honesty that Jesus led me all the way, as I did this morning. Church, do you want to say that even in the face of death's cold wave, you will not flee because God is leading you? Do you want to know that you shared the gospel, that God used you, and that you will see him soon? I'm not saying this as if it's conditional. I'm saying that is that it's what I desire. And church, if you desire what I do, Let me offer you this just closing thought. Let's be like Paul and let's imitate Jesus. And let's not put anything in the way of the gospel. Paul.